Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Two times in a row. Don't record this yet. I don't want Phil to hear that. Hey, kids, you can be dismissed to your class if your parents so desire. Thank you, Steve. See why we're encouraged to have him as a part of the Woodstock group? Whenever I do something like that at a church service, I usually go into like, this is why we love the gospel. Because the gospel is for imperfect, fallen sinners who don't have it all together, who come to Jesus because he's got it all together. Okay, so now using the gospel, right, to cover a multitude of weaknesses and sins. We're gonna find ourselves in Luke chapter 11 today. We're gonna begin our series on prayer, taking a break from our normal teaching through the book of Matthew. I mean, Luke chapter 11, that can be found on page 869 in those black Bibles around you. Before we jump into it, since, of course, this is a series on prayer, I think we should pray. So let's pray together now. Father, God, we come before you now and our desire, God, is that your name would be magnified and glorified today as we come to the word of God and we come to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from your son, the one who is your image bearer, the exact representation of your nature, the one who only does what he sees you doing. We want to learn from Christ today by your Holy Spirit how we might come to you in prayer, humbly and yet with confidence, that we might come to you, Father, and receive good gifts from you because you are the good Father. And so, Father, we pray today, open our hearts, our minds, God. There, there are things, even in my own heart right now, as I get ready to preach your word, that don't need to be there. And so, Father, remove those from us. Encourage us where we need encouragement. God, strengthen us where we're weak and convict us where we need conviction. And may we receive all of that as nothing but a gracious gift because, Father, all you do for your children is love us. You work all things together for our good. And so, God, help us to receive from you today, whether it's encouragement or strength or even, God, a, an exhortation to change. Help us to receive that as a good gift, as gospel, good news. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump into our text in Luke 11 today, I want to tell you a story, a, a parable of sorts. There was a man a number of years ago who wanted to buy into a restaurant franchise. Now, one of the reasons that he wanted to buy into this franchise is because this restaurant was successful wherever it was. Multiple different cultures and locations, wherever these restaurants sprung up, they were successful. Now, this guy had no experience running a restaurant. But man, he loved this restaurant. It was, the food was amazing, the atmosphere was amazing, the, the employees and the managers were awesome. So this guy took all of his life savings, everything that he had, and he invested it into buying into this franchise, this restaurant chain. Now, one of the reasons that he wanted to do this is that this restaurant was unique in many ways, but one of the ways was this, that the original founder and owner and visionary who had come up with this restaurant this guy had written like the most detailed handbook. And inside of that handbook was really everything that you would need to know to make this restaurant work. But there was a problem. 
this guy that just bought into the restaurant, right? He didn't speak Spanish, and this guy wrote the handbook in Spanish. Now, now the guy that just bought into the restaurant, he'd taken a couple years of Spanish in high school. And he could read just enough to get the, the main idea, right? And kind of the central theme. But without the ability to really understand what was going on with the totality of that handbook, he didn't see his restaurant flourish. But day in and day out, this guy would read the handbook. And he would diligently, it wasn't for a lack of effort, man, he would diligently apply the parts that he could understand of this handbook. But there was a problem. His restaurant was still failing. Now here's the kicker in the story is that at the same time that this guy opens his restaurant, he buys into it, that original owner and visionary, he gets the the, the storefront right next door. And he opens up this little help center right next door to the restaurant. And the entire point of this help center is that new franchise owners could come to him, especially ones that didn't speak that language very well. They could come to him and they could receive help so that they would better understand how to read the handbook and how to handle the restaurant. But this guy, day in and day out, he would go to his handbook, he would read what he understood, apply diligently what he understood, but barely ever, if ever at all, would he take the time to walk right next door and to listen to this guy explain the handbook and the restaurant business in a language that he could understand. He just wouldn't do it. I tell that story because I think sometimes, as Christians, too many of us live our lives like this guy. We, we want to read and reread the Bible and we, we study our Bible. But friends, how often do we actually take the time just to come to God who's right there? He's always there for us and just to sit down in front of him and to hear from the Father, to receive from him. He, he's given us this, this Bible and it's a gift. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's just a lot of it that we're like, I, I don't even know, like the book of Numbers? Like who in the world, what's that gonna do for me? Right Or all of these other things, or maybe we understand it, and yet we're just like, but I don't seem to be getting the traction in my life. I don't seem to be living the kind of life that I read about in the Bible. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that I think the main reason for that is we're just not spending enough time with the Father. Like, he's right there. Did you know that the Son came? Right, Jesus came and he, he took on flesh and he, he came and lived among us and he died for us and he rose again. He's now ascended at the right hand of the Father so that we might have full access to the Father. I mean, it's right there for us. The, the, the self-help guru, don't, don't take that the wrong way, is right next door to our restaurant and yet we keep trying to do it our own way and we don't take the time to listen to the Father. And so that brings us to our big idea this morning. Our big idea is this, followers of Jesus must be taught to pray together to the good father and for the good father. Followers of Jesus must be taught to pray together to the good father and for the good father. Now we're going to unfold that statement as we work through the sermon this morning. Before we read the text, I just want to say a couple of things by way of introduction, and some of this has been touched on, but this series on prayer, this series has been inspired by our, the elders of Embassy, our desire to be proactive in leading the charge to see genuine Christ-shaped transformation in your lives and in our lives. Like, that's why we're doing this, not because it's like, hey, these guys need more knowledge about prayer. No, no, no. The whole point of this is that we would go home today 
And that we would set aside the TV remote, we would set aside even, even books, theology books, whatever it may be, and that we would get on our knees before God and we would start to engage him in prayer. So that's why we're doing this, because we believe that the practice of prayer, along with these other practices that we will look at over the course of the next few years, that these things are used by God to change us, to make us to be more like Jesus. So today's focus in the text is not going to be like a strict exposition of the passage. It's a beautiful passage, and it's worthy of that. But we want to look specifically today at, at six things that we think can genuinely help us to live a better and more fruitful prayer life with the Father. So with that, let's turn to the text this morning. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Again, that can be found on page 869 in these black Bibles. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Okay, as we look into this text today, we want to look at six six aspects of this text that I think will be helpful for us in our prayer life. So number one, Prayer must be learned. Prayer must be learned. Look at, and this is, this is also why our big idea said, right, like followers of Jesus must be taught to pray. Look at what Jesus says here in verse one. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, so here they are, they, they see Jesus praying, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, and then this, as John taught his disciples. Now, what's interesting is that as Luke is recounting this story for us, he could have, if, if all he wanted us to do was just to see that prayer, then he could have just ended with Jesus' disciples saying, Lord, teach us to pray. But Luke includes that next little phrase, as John taught his disciples to pray. And so we have to ask ourselves, why in the world would he do that? And the answer is this, because the fact that we need to be taught to pray is important. And Luke wants us to know that. He wants us to know that we need to be taught to pray. And I think sometimes, and, and I know myself, like I was talking to Amanda this week about this. Like I don't remember ever being taught to pray. 
And you know what that means? Like for 15 years in my Christian life, I felt like I was just limping around trying to figure out what it means to pray. I've been in pastoral ministry for probably seven or eight years, been through a couple rounds of seminary, and no joke, it's just the last year to year and a half, maybe two years, that I actually feel like I'm starting to understand what it means to pray, to come to God, to spend time with him, to not only speak to him, but really to hear from him. If you've never been taught to pray, then there's a good chance that your prayer life is not what it should or could be. Jesus wants us to learn to pray from him, but here's the kicker. Do you know the way that Jesus teaches his people? It's through his people. Jesus teaches his people through his people. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, okay, I'm, I'm imitating Jesus, so how are you gonna learn? Well, you imitate me, Paul says. Or, again, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul says this, and what? You have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful people who will be able to instruct others also. So Paul has received from Jesus, and then he tells these people, you have heard me now instruct you with this in the presence of many people. Now you go and instruct more people, and so on and so forth. And we sit here 2,000 years later convinced of the truth of the gospel that we have received because of faithful teaching like this. And it's no different in our prayer life. We need to be taught to pray. A prayer is an absolutely fundamental aspect of the Christian life. And it must be, therefore, central in our discipleship strategy. And this is why. A prayerless life, simply put, is a godless life. A prayerless life is a godless life. A person who thinks that they can have a relationship with God without prayer is like a husband who thinks he can have a marriage with a wife and never talk to his wife. Man, if you saw that, if you, if you were a part of a home group at this church and you're like, man, I'll tell you what, that dude never says a word to his wife and you think, well, maybe he's just shy and then you ask her. She's like, no, we've been married six years, four conversations. You would be like, I I'm stepping in there. And yet we have people who have been in the church six, seven years, and, and, and they may not pray more than a minute or two a day if they pray at all. And that needs to be alarming to us. Prayer is a fundamental aspect and practice of the Christian life, and therefore it must be a fundamental priority in our discipleship. So here's the question. Have you ever been taught to pray? I hadn't. I hadn't. And it, it was a wreck on my Christian life. Or maybe you're sitting here today and by God's grace you have been taught to pray. Or like me, you just limped through this thing and you, you stumbled upon to like, oh, thank you God for your grace. I feel like I'm finally getting some traction. My prayer life feels good and it's, it's life-giving. And like for me, man, if I have to miss that, my, my, like my morning hour of prayer, me and my wife come together and we pray at least an hour together. We try, if I miss that, my day is just hard. Martin Luther would have a busy day and many of us, right, we think my day is busy I don't have time to pray. Martin Luther would say, my day is busy. I must get up at three and pray longer. Because he understood the power of prayer. So if you have a decent prayer life, are you teaching somebody? Like if, if you have a good prayer life, let me just say, please start a prayer group and bring people in. And not just like with, okay, we're gonna pray together, but with the explicit focus of discipleship. 
teach them to pray because the more people that learn to pray, the more power we will see in the church and the more people who are lost will come to faith in Christ, the more that we will transcend the adversary and the trials of this world because that's what God has for us. You read the Bible, it's very triumphant, isn't it? Like we're more than conquerors, it says. And so often though, we feel like we're just down there crawling on the dust of the earth. We don't know how to transcend the problems of this world because we're not tapped into the transcendent one. And so if you can pray, just please, like grab some people and be like, I love you, I'm gonna teach you to pray. Now now here's the kicker. There's a lot of things that scream against us, like I've been a Christian so long, what would people think if if they knew I couldn't pray? You know what I mean? Like, I I don't wanna do that or I'm so busy. Like I don't... I don't have time to pray. What it means to be a Christian is to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Do you think God cares if you come to him and say, I don't know how to pray. Like, give me somebody in the church and you seek somebody out. Like, God rejoices in that. When we humble ourselves, when we come to him and then he's just kind and he will help us. He will help us. Now, here's the thing too. If you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, my prayer life is just, it's weak, it's anemic, The text actually puts the emphasis on you to ask. Did you notice that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in response to their asking him, how do I pray? Like these disciples, who Jesus then says, you're my 12 apostles, they turned upside down the Roman world. And they came to Jesus and said, we have no idea what we're doing, can you teach us? So don't feel bad. Humble yourself, come to somebody and say, I don't know how to pray, can you teach me to pray? And then watch God to use you, flip your community, your household, your home, upside down for the glory of Christ. Watch him change you and transform your life. Because when we ask somebody to pray, we must humble ourselves. And in that very asking, the transformative work of prayer in our life begins at that moment. So point number one, we must be taught to pray Prayer must be taught. It's a learned, learned practice in our life. And I know that can be hard to swallow at times. The second point, prayer has a specific form. Prayer has a specific form. Now to to say that, to say that prayer has a specific form is to say that Jesus doesn't really envision his followers just sort of walking around like, Praying however they want, willy-nilly. Oh, how about this or that or this? I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, and, and there's a part of me that loves the heart behind it, so don't, please don't hear me wrong, but have you ever heard a statement like this? It really doesn't matter what you say. Prayer is just about talking to God, and so what you say isn't really that important. Well, as a matter of fact, Jesus thinks that what we say is very important. Notice what it says, and he said to them, so they ask us, teach us to pray, and Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and then he gives them certain words that they're actually to say. When you pray, say. Prayer has a specific form. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Hey, don't put words in my mouth. Or maybe you've heard this or even said it yourself. Now listen, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but, and then you put words in their mouth, right? That's how we work. Jesus is absolutely putting words in your mouth, in my mouth, in our mouth. The thing about that statement, don't put words in our mouth, the reason that that saying is what it is, because in our culture, putting words in somebody's mouth, 
That is to seemingly rob them of their own unique individual expression is seen as one of the gravest sins that you could commit. Oh no, don't don't take away my individualism. Jesus is putting words into our mouth. Jesus is saying, listen, more important than your own unique expression of your own individual self is that you would become like me. That you would be shaped and formed and forged. And so I think that this may be like one of the most countercultural parts of what Jesus wants to do for us in our culture. Because our culture is all about you've got to be yourself. It's all about the unique individual. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm trying to take a group of people here and I'm trying to conform them into this image. Now, to say that we become like Jesus doesn't mean that we're all robots, right? That there is that, that whole body metaphor where arm and, and leg and ear and mouth and all of that's true. But, but, when Jesus says, I want you to pray this way, what we're saying is there are core fundamental truths that all of us are to be formed around, have our lives shaped around, and that that's good for us. And then our individual expressions are individual expressions of that basic truth. They don't subvert the basic truth. They don't do away with the basic truth. They are expressions in different ways to express that basic truth because it takes absolutely every single Christian in their own unique expression of those basic truths to even come close to expressing the multifaceted grace of God that we see in Jesus. So, so when we say Jesus wants to form us and, and make us alike in certain ways, we're not doing away with individual expression. We're actually just saying without this foundation, that expression doesn't bring life but death. But with this foundation, you, you've got that, you're formed around this, and you become more like Jesus— now when you express yourself, it's life-giving for yourself and for others. So, Jesus is saying, listen, there's a form of prayer that I want you to pray. Now, we have to start here with, with these specific words. I think that's hard for us, right? Like, wait, wait, do you think that Jesus has in mind that we would actually recite this? Well, Jesus says this. When you pray, say these things, and that word say is an imperative, it's a command. This is not a helpful suggestion. This is not Jesus kind of with some roundabout way going, oh, I hope I can get them to say something like this. Jesus says, no, when you pray, say these words. He's saying, listen, take a breath, get some air in your lungs, use your vocal cord, your lips, and your tongue to make the sounds of these words because these words, when we understand them and we pray them, will start to shape and form us in a way. Now, are these the only words we should ever pray? Of course not. If these were the only words that we were ever supposed to pray, then the entire book of Psalms and massive, massive portions of Scripture would be useless at best and heresy at worst. What are we saying then? Until we're formed around these central truths, until our, our hearts start to long for these things, then we're never going to understand the other parts of prayer in our life. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think at the very least, by way of application, that it would be a good thing to start with for all of us to try to read and reread this prayer or the one in Matthew daily. Memorize it. And listen, recite it. There's a reason the church has done that for thousands of years. Recite the Lord's Prayer. And then, once you get that, pattern your other prayers after that. 
And then once you do that, then move into trying to pray through other parts of the scripture. Jesus says we need to be taught how to pray. There's a specific form to prayer. The next thing we want to see, number three, prayer is a community activity first and foremost. Prayer is a community activity. I I think all of us, like when we think about prayer, the first thing that probably hops in your head is prayer closet. And that's true, but, but that's not the first way that we should think about prayer. This is why our big idea says this, that followers of Jesus must be taught to pray together. Together. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them to pray as a community rather than individuals. Now, this doesn't mean that individual prayer is not taught or that it's not good. It simply means that if we don't understand that prayer is first and foremost an activity of the worshiping community then we won't understand the individual part of it. Notice what Jesus says here. Here's what he tells them to pray. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us, us, each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we, we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead, you guessed it, us, not into temptation. Now Jesus is a smart dude. We can agree on that, right? Like Jesus is a pretty smart guy. He could have said me. He could have taught us to pray like, Lord, don't lead me into temptation, but he doesn't. He could have taught us to pray, give me this day my daily bread, but he doesn't. But how often, man, how often when I prayed this prayer, I would pray for myself. I would miss that group aspect. Our identity as Christians should not be that of an autonomous individual if you're a follower of Jesus. It should be that of a part of the community of faith. The rhythms of our life, and prayer is one of the rhythms of our life, but Jesus is saying this rhythm of life should be understood first and foremost as something we do together. Something that we do together. Now, what's interesting about this is that, did you notice in there, there's like an implied frequency. We're to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Well, I thought about that, I'm like, man, really? Like, Jesus envisions us being together a lot to pray like that, doesn't he? Together a lot to pray like that. And he said, this is how I want you to pray. We are to pray in a community of faith and for a community of faith. That is to say, we are to pray as the church together and for the church. You notice we don't come together and then say, okay, uh, God, would you give so-and-so their daily bread? We are viewed as a unit together. And so we do life together, we live together, we pray together together. And one of the things that this does, this reminds us over and over again, as we pray this together over and over again, that the mission of the church is more important than the desire of the individual. The mission of the church is more important than the desire of any single individual in it, whether it's Pastor Phil or one of the other elders or maybe it's somebody who's done so many great. The mission of the church is just more important than any of our individual desires. And God will provide for us as a church if this is what we're about. Now, We've been hearing these things, and and one of the things that struck me over and over and over again, almost at every point in here, is like, I don't even know how to begin to think about seeing this work out in more and more people's lives, just because we are, like Kevin DeYoung's book is titled, Crazy Busy. Crazy Busy. So you're probably sitting here just going, wait a minute. Like, 
give us this day our daily bread? How am I going to get together with other Christians who are part of my church or my small group or whatever it is daily and pray this? How, how am I going to be together more? My schedule, it's just like packed. Well, I think that the Lord would have you hear this today. Your schedule probably needs to change. Like that's not fun to hear, right? Like, but, but our schedules probably need to change. If we're gonna have vitality in our Christian life, then we need to submit ourselves to God and we need to go about this his way. Here's the thing. Like, when I was a kid, I just remember, like, one of my greatest joys was my dad would come home from work and I just couldn't wait to put on the baseball glove and go in the backyard and play catch with him. And, and if it wasn't baseball, we had these big pine trees in the backyard. We would spend hours collecting pine cones and then setting up little forts at these trees. And then we would spend even more hours belting each other with pine cones for fun, right? Because that's what you do when you're a kid. But it wasn't about the baseball. It wasn't about the pine cones. It was about spending time with my father. And we have been given a gift as a community of faith that we can spend time with God. And so often I just feel like we let our schedules kind of like push out that time with him. And he sits there and he's, he's there. Like, and I remember hearing my dad now years later in my adult life, like, man, I'd come home. Sometimes your mom was so upset with you guys. She just wanted me to come home and spank you guys. And we probably deserved it. But he said, I just wanted to be with you. I don't want to have to spank you. So, so this has nothing to do with the text. This one's for free. But you know what he would do on occasion? He would send me and my brother. It was just me and my brother. And we would fight like cats and dogs. He would send us into the room. He'd go in there with us and to appease my mom, He'd say, okay, now I'm going to take this belt and I'm going to smack the bed. And when that belt hits the bed, you holler. And then we go outside and throw pine cones at each other. Okay, my point is this. You're not going to remember the point. You're just going to remember that story. Oh, Lord, forgive me. My point is this. It's about the relationship. I wanted to spend time with him. He wanted to spend time with me. That's what happens in a loving relationship. And this is what God offers for us. Like we can spend time with the good heavenly father who has spared no expense that we might know him, who has sent the son to pay for our sins on the cross that we might know him. I think so often we think of our Christian life and it's, it's, that it's all about the forgiveness of our sins and amen to that, right? Amen to the forgiveness of our sins, but that is a means to an end and not an end in and of itself. The end is that you might know the Father, that you might stand in the presence of God, that you might no longer be exiled from Eden, but back in the garden with the Father who loves you, who says, come, I've I've spared no expense. I've sent my son, he's done it all, and I've given you the Holy Spirit. And so God might be saying to you today, like, you need to take a good, long, hard look at your schedule and just make time to get together with the saints and pray, and I guarantee you this, you will not be disappointed if you go into it with a faithful heart, like, all right, God, I'm setting this other stuff aside. I'm coming to you. And remember what Ethan said. God's timeline isn't always our timeline, but God is always faithful. Always faithful. Now, next thing we want to see, prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. Now, I skipped one. I want to go back, okay? Prayer is addressed to the good father. Now, you'll see why I put good in there. It's a little clunky in the big idea, right? Like, what, why is he? 
You'll see in a minute. Prayer is to be addressed to the Father. Look at what Jesus says when he teaches them to pray. He says this, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, I know sometimes, like, I hear people all the time, and, and this is good that they, they have this relationship. They want to know Jesus and be close to Jesus, but, that, you know, they spend their time praying to Jesus. But, but Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father, and there's a reason that we pray to the Father. Okay, this is profound. Are you ready? Like, you might have, he's the Father. So we pray to the Father. That's the way. There, there is a structured relationship in the Trinity, Okay, so that the Father relates to the Son in a different way than the Son relates to the Father. In the same way, right? And I was trying to think of like, how can we best understand this? Because when we pray to Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with, with like being like, Jesus, I love you and thank you, but like the, the, the day in, day out, daily bread of our prayer life should be to the Father. Okay, to, so to help you understand this, because what I'm trying to say is that if, if we're constantly praying to the Son, we're subverting this beautifully ordered structure in the Trinity. So picture this for a moment, okay? Me and my family, we fall onto hard times. For whatever reason, we can't stay at our house anymore. So I know that Pastor Phil's a good guy and his family's a good family. So I come up to his house and I, I knock on the door and John, little four-year-old John answers the door and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is just what I'm looking for. And I, I get down and I'm like, John, listen, man, we're in a, we're in a bind. Hey, do, do you think that me and my family could just crash in your spare room for three months? Right? And I just asked John. John's like, well, I've asked John, can I stay at your house? He told me no before, so I probably wouldn't ask him. <laughs> he has. As a matter of fact, one time he was over at our house. They were visiting, and, and then me and Phil had come back from the church. We were praying together or something, and, and John was upset because he had to leave. And, and then John told me that I could leave my own house <laughs> and that he would quit crying and he could go play in the bedroom if I could just leave. But you get the point of the story. Like, it would be crazy. You guys would think, that's not, like, how could you do that? How could you ask John, the four-year-old, when Phil's the father of the household? You see what I mean? There's an ordered and structured way that we are supposed to pray. You can hear some of that in what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these I will show him so that you may marvel. Now, notice this. That by Jesus adhering to this inner Trinitarian structure that the son relates as a son to the father and the father as a father to the son does not rob the son of anything. Because the Father loves the Son, and so he freely and generously reveals to the Son all that he's doing. It's a good thing, and so we lose nothing in it. But we honor God and the structure of the relationships, which, by the way, is why we believe that the way that God structured families and male and female is important. Not because to be a male or a female means that you're going to get robbed or lose something that God has for you, but because the way that God chooses to give his blessings is through the structured relationship. And that when we subvert that structured relationship, like we saw in the garden in the beginning, things are a disaster. 
So that when we say, like, we're, we're complementarians, we believe that God has made man and woman equal before God, yet with different roles, it does not rob anybody of any blessing. It's actually the means by which God gives the blessings. And when we subvert that, and we say, listen, God, I got this. I'll take the knowledge of good and evil to myself. I'll decide what's right and wrong. It's a train wreck. Like, and if we don't get that, just go read the first three pages of the Bible. We make a mess of it right away doing that very thing. So one of the ways we can affirm that is that when we come together and we pray, we pray to our Father. Why? He's the Father. That's the way these relationships work. Next, that was number four. Prayer is addressed to the Father. Number five, prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. This is why our big idea says that followers of Jesus must be taught to pray together to the good Father and for the good Father. When we say for the good Father, we mean this. When we pray, we pray to the Father and we pray for the glory of the Father to spread. Listen to the way that Jesus says it. He says, when you pray, say, Father hallowed be your name your kingdom come when we pray that father hallowed be your name what we're praying is god we want your name and your glory to be uniquely set apart in people's hearts and lives that word hallowed by the way whoever says that like, like i think we just kept that right from the king james because it was such a part of the christian repetition i have never once outside of a churchy setting said hallowed like, never. But here's what it means. It's from the same root group that we get the word holy or sanctification. It's this idea of uniqueness and being set apart. And so when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, it's our heart's desire that the name and the fame of God would be lifted up and seen as beautiful and magnificent. And it would be the heart's cry and desire for everybody and anybody that God would be seen as glorious and righteous and just. And that when we looked at this world and the mess, we would go, we made a mess of that, but God has a different way. And so we pray for his kingdom to come because when the rule and reign of God start to work in this world, great things happen and God is shown to be marvelous. You see, prayer is worship. That's the first thing, like the first thing Jesus wants us to do is have this worshipful prayer like, God, we're gonna pray in such a way that says, you're the man. Like, you're the one who's got it going on, and we need more of you. God, what this world needs, simply put, is you. All of our ideas, they're just going to, like that, they'll be gone. But God has already, in the cross of Jesus Christ, dealt that death blow to the enemy, and he has promised us that Christ will return, and that one day all unrighteousness is going to be done away with, and we just simply worship him in this prayer for that, like, God, your name be hallowed. And what we want to see is we want to see that start to take place, start to get some traction more and more right now. Prayer is worship. Prayer is not an activity that God has given to us so that we can see all of our requests come true. If we just pray hard enough and with enough fervor, and if we maybe get the words just right, then we'll get what we want. Prayer is worship, and worship is a formative activity. What does that mean? Worship forms who you are. When you worship, you're transformed, right? 
When we pray this, what do we do? We behold God's glory. Hallowed be your name. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that when we behold the glory of God, when we behold God's glory in the face of Christ, you know what happens? He says we're actually transformed into the same image. And so if your prayer life is simply give me, give me, give me, or I was listening to a sermon, and, and Tim Mackey, the guy who does the Bible Project, he was preaching through the Matthew text on this, and he was summarizing an article that somebody had written, and he said, this is usually our prayer life. Give me, give me, give me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and then he said this. Prayer is usually reactive and not proactive. Prayer should be proactive worship of the Father. We should glorify the Father. We should pray, God, hallowed be your name. Not because something's happening, but because this is what it means to know the Father. Like, there's just nothing better than you. Like, give me some more of that. The rest of this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that's worship also. Why? We come to God and we display through our prayer that he's the one that provides. I don't provide for myself, God. All that I have, every good gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, and so that glorifies God. What about when we say, forgive us our sins? We come to God and we have to actually say, you're the kind of God that though we are sinners, offers forgiveness. And so we're gonna come to you based on Jesus and say, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. When we forgive others, we display in our life that this forgiving God is absolutely worth honor and that we would live our lives patterned after him. Lead us not into temptation. We want to live lives free from sin because it magnifies the righteous one to whom we have given our life. All of this is essentially about worship at its root. Now, the sixth and final thing that we're going to look at today is that prayer is an act of faith in the Father's goodness. This is what that whole verses 5 through 13 is about. We have to believe that God is good. That's what this whole thing is about. Now, in the story that Jesus tells, a guy comes to this neighborhood, right? A friend shows up at a dude's house, and, and he doesn't have enough bread, right? So he's knocking on the neighbor's door, and I, I thought, I think that just sounds foreign to us, right? Because food is just everywhere. It's, it's overabundant where we live. Like, I think it's hard for me to imagine somebody coming to my neighborhood and that one of my friends shows up, right, in the middle of the night, and either I don't have enough food or he didn't stop by Mickey D's on the way. It just seems foreign. So this was, this was my best way to think of like, how could that look? Okay, so imagine this. You live in a neighborhood. You have a good relationship with your neighbors. You've got a buddy who's coming by. You knew about it, but you just totally blanked that he was showing up. 2 a.m. he shows up to your house. And you're like, oh, man, it's good to see you. And you're thinking, what am I gonna do? Because you don't have any room open. You've made no preparations. You don't have any couches. You just moved in. And the only space you have available for this guy is the garage, and it's a concrete floor. You've got one little blanket, enough to keep him warm, but he is gonna be a miserable wreck. He's already got a bad back, and you've got no pad for him to sleep on. You remember, though, your neighbor. You're just over there helping him clean out his garage, right? And so he's like, check out this new pad we just got for camping with the kids. We haven't used it yet, you know, but it's here. And you're like, oh, my neighbor's gonna bail me out. So you go over and you, you shoot him a text and he shoots you back a text. Hey, knucklehead, I'm asleep, leave me alone. Okay, you go back and he, he's not answering. So finally you just go to the door and you're like, boom, boom, boom. And you keep knocking and knocking and he, he's yelled at you a couple times. Just, Nate, leave me alone, man. And finally, though, he's like, he's, he's just not gonna stop he comes to the door, you're like, I got this friend. And as soon as he hears pad, he just gets you the pad and he gets rid of you. And that's the story that Jesus tells. And then Jesus says this. Jesus says, 
I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So then here's the question. Is Jesus just saying, here's the blank check and if you're just pester God enough, you'll get it. Whatever you want, just ask. The answer is no. And so Jesus tells us a little analogy after this to make it clear. Jesus says, I want you to think about this, okay? He says, parents, in the room, if your kid comes to you and they're like, I'm hungry. So Josie comes to me. She's like, Dad, I, I've been at ballet today. I'm, I'm really hungry. I'm famished. I'm like, great. Start with the serpent and then move on to the scorpion. Should take care of you. No, right? That's foolish. I'm like, let me help you. We'll get some food. We'll get you a plate, some lunch here, da-da-da. And then Jesus says this. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give? And then, you know what we expect to hear? Good gifts to his children, right? That would be the analogy. But he says, no, no. How much more will the heavenly Father give to you the Holy Spirit? Why would he say it that way? And here's the answer. It's the Holy Spirit that will empower us to live out the prayer that we see in verses two, three, and four. It's the Holy Spirit who makes us cry out, hallowed be your name, Father, your kingdom come. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to God and not ourselves to request our daily bread, to depend on God. It's the Holy Spirit who points us to God. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment and then points us to the God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and who forgives our sins. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to, when we are wronged, be able to look at our enemy and say, I forgive you. Maybe you murdered a family member. Maybe it's like Nate Saint and those other missionaries who they were speared to death in a river and their wives went back to those same people who killed them to forgive them and to preach the good news of forgiveness to them. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. So what's the whole point of this? Jesus is trying to get us to understand that if we will come to God and we will keep coming to God, because if you, you read these prayers, like that's not easy. You ever tried to forgive somebody, like genuinely forgive somebody? Be like somebody comes up and just whack, clocks you right in the chin. Now if you're like me, you just want to run away scared, but some of you want to fight. Instead, God calls us to forgive that means I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to seek vengeance against you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to treat you like you didn't do that. That's hard. That's why the Holy Spirit. If you will keep knocking and you will keep coming, God has promised you, I will give you the strength to live the life that I have called you to. That's what this is all about. And so, this is the first of four or five, I don't know how many sermons on prayer. And let it be a call, a call to this church, to embassy church, to humble ourselves. If you don't know how to pray, ask somebody to teach you how to pray and then let it be a call to just keep knocking, God, give me the Holy Spirit. Let me be this person. And one of the ways that you do that is you start to pray this. I think so often we have this idea, like, okay, I'm gonna get this all in my head and then, and then God's gonna move me and I'm gonna have all these desires and then I will pray. No. No, that's just wrong. Start praying. Start doing. That's an act of faith. 
God, I'm going to do this. My heart's not there. I believe you're going to do something, and God will. He's promised. You keep knocking. You keep coming. You keep saying this Lord's prayer to him over and over again. Holy Spirit is going to do a work in you. It's a promise of God. So this is not a work where we earn God's favor. Simply put, this is just an act of faith. Just believe him until your heart and your head catch up with your practice. But don't neglect the practice because the heart and the head aren't there yet. God knows you're a train wreck. He knows I'm a train wreck. Just come to him. Do what he's asked. Shift the schedule so that you have time to come together with other saints and do this. God is faithful. He just is. That's who he is. He's a faithful God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you. You are faithful. You are good. There is none like you. You have given your son that we might know you as father. You you have given Jesus who, who bore your wrath, who died on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven, that we might come freely to you day by day. God, help us to trust you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.